Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast extra on the 6th of June. So the podcast will be back to normal in two weeks time on uh, the 20th of June. Uh, in the meantime, we got some interviews and Steve joins me for this one. Uh, so our first interview today on this podcast extra, Steve, uh, it's about 20 minutes long and it's with... Dado Valentic, who recently worked on Marco Polo and Exodus Gods and Kings and describes himself as a colour scientist. So we started the interview by asking him exactly what a colour scientist is. Well, um, a colour scientist is a little bit of an extension to my job um, as a colour grading artist. Effectively, this is what I'm doing. But I, um, I reached a limit to what I was able to achieve just using traditional colour grading tools. And I had to um, dive into the color science itself in order to be able to accomplish jobs that I'm having to do. So um, my my job on that kind of level of as a color scientist started actually with the, with the advent of the first digital cameras. When we would get a material from them and it, when that material wouldn't necessarily look, we wanted to look and we figured that we have to use special algorithms or color matrices or certain processing that goes under the, under the development of color science in order to be able to get images where we want. Um, also, another reason why you know I'm being hired more and more as a color scientist is that um, what I do is that I develop workflows for uh, feature films and TV series where color decisions get made already in pre-production and production process and throughout the post-production so that by the time the project comes to me to the final stage of color grading, we're not just starting from zero and inventing color then, but we have been working with a fixed color format all the way through. We call it the color managed workflow. And in order to be able to accomplish that, you know, I need to create certain profiles, certain transforms, certain, you know, um, ways how we're going to communicate color from one pl place to another. So this is all basically what and comes under the job of color scientist. So basically, in layman's terms, what you're describing there is that you and the director and the director of photography will sit down and you basically come up with the look of how the film or the TV series is going to look. And, and you help with the color side of that. Absolutely. So basically, you know, director would have a certain idea, script and vision. The cinematographer would have certain, you know, visual references that he would, you know, like, um, you know, want to you know, achieve certain targets. Um, we would then um, together discuss the technical aspect of shooting, what cameras, lenses and so on. Um, then we would do the tests and then we would take those tests in into our, the grading you know, suite and we would develop the look. Then we would adapt it looks so that it can be used for different deliverables at the end of the job. So it's, it's approximately that's what happens. In terms of working on a show like Marco Polo, um, mm -hmm. how would you normally approach that role? Well, Marco Polo was a very interesting one simply because what happened was that in the middle of Marco Polo, um, or like Marco Polo was already greenlit and it was preparing and approved. And at that point... Um, um, came a situation that Netflix decided that that was going to be their first HDR show. So um, my role was actually really to establish, you know, that workflow for the first time, you know, because there was no other HDR show that, that Netflix did before. So I literally had to um, do 
a, a way of you know getting to what my know-how of HDR that I developed by working together with Dolby on their system called Dolby Vision, which is uh, something I worked for over a year before um, I got on Marco Polo, but also to translate it so that we can communicate that you know level of color management and color science to all you know uh, uh, people involved. So, uh, so it was an interesting one. You see, I love these kind of jobs where we are pioneering, we're coming to something you know that no, we haven't done before, where we have to do lots of testing, trialing, failing, finding the solutions, and so on. But once I'm, you see the final result, I'm pretty sure you're going to like it. What does HDR let you do that you couldn't do before? So if I was to remove myself away from the technical side, you know, to what really HDR means. Um, then um, what really HDR means is that we are able to affect emotions um, in a better way, or we're able to draw the viewer better into the story. That's basically, you know, one thing that, that happens. When you view a show in HDR, you, it just feels much more exciting, much better. And that's really exactly the kind of the thing that we can do in HDR that, that we were not able to do with a, with, a, with a normal standard dynamic range. And in order to manipulate the colors further on the set, um, one of my team um, would be with Vanya all the time, and he would be like something like an onset colorist. And he would create for every scene something that we call color decision list or CDL. In conjunction with a LUT, that would be the, basically the basis of the color metadata then this color metadata would get ingested into editing system so that every shot would know exactly what color metadata was used for it. So, and also the, the look itself would get baked into that material. So the director and the producers, Harvey Weinstein was a producer on this one, um, were able to see exact material that Vanya saw on his monitor they were able to watch it on their iPads or their computers in LA. So that is basically like, you know, the, the, that kind of the magic link that everybody involves has get, gets the same image. Then from that point, what we did is we have then conformed the show when it was edited. And then we have used that color metadata to start grading already from the point of what was actually done on set. So we didn't have to reinvent any looks. We kind of already shortened the time that we have to spend in grading. And then because we had a limited amount of time to complete the show, what we did is we have like I've changed a little bit our color grading system. So what we can do now is we can color grade in HDR and in parallel, we can create an SDR version of it. So that way we were able to grade at the same time that was given to us to, you know, originally to grade the show, but we were able to do two masters at the same time because of that. So we would literally use the HDR master as our you know, main look, and then we would uh, create, you know, a transform or help like a little bit with secondaries um, to create the SDR version. Obviously HDR is an important feature nowadays, but why is it, only now that we are starting to see HDR being used um, for TV and film production? Well, we have had, um, you know, the dynamic range and the color gamut, the wide color gamut that HDR is giving in digital cameras for a while now. You know, the digital cameras were able 
to do it for quite a few years and 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 you know we're happily doing so what we didn't have is a way of first of all how uh, consumers at home would be able to see this quality of images and second how would we be able to deliver those images to them so what's changed now suddenly is that that, that infrastructure exists Number one, the television screens, you know, that can display images of this quality and there is already a standard for it exists. So that's amazing. Like if the TV manufacturers can get all their know-how in making better images into those TV screens and they can create TV screens that can display HDR images. The second thing that happened is that mainly thanks to the internet that we have now a driving force, you know, in terms of Netflix and Amazon that is able to deliver HDR images to the viewers. And then if we bring into that now, like the new Blu-ray standard, you know, that is giving us, you know, HDR and disc, then we have the whole infrastructure closed. So hence the excitement that we can now finally start, you know, mastering and delivering images in HDR. So when you're color grading for HDR, are you using a thousand nits or 4,000 nits? And, and what level are you using and why? I'm using 1,000 nits. I, I have used a Marco Polo 4,000 nits, but we have already like switched it back to 1,000. Um, uh, so that is basically the maximum I go. And also I'm using one of the, you know, I have a, like a reference monitor, you know, that cost about 25,000 pounds, you know, the, for that. But also now we're using a Panasonic um, screen, the, um, the DX902, the 65-inch and simply for the reason that we want to see what the consumer at the end is really going to see what is that image that they're going to get at the end and and we are very happy with the results um you mentioned color quite a lot and um obviously everyone talks about hdr and talks about things like uh brightness uh, and um, peak brightness but one of the aspects that often gets overlooked is the color aspect of hdr can you just explain how color works within hdr and um, what color space you're using on a show like Marco Polo, for example? Okay, so so actually Marco Polo is finished in in, in three different color spaces. Okay, um, but I'm really glad you bring this up because um, you know everybody gets excited about this brightness, but we don't really even want to use that brightness too much because there's no point in us like you know making images look so bright that you know people's eyes will pop. We are really more interested in about getting like images look more pleasing, more natural. And, and the combination of brightness and wider color gamut is really what's important. So we are started using a term which we call a color volume because a wider color gamut and increased uh, brightness together combined create something which we call a color volume. And that color volume is really important. Now, it's also color volume means that, that, that now we are changing the way how we're doing our maths in terms of the translation from one um, format into another um, because we're not just reducing the gamut of the color, we're reducing the volume of the color as well. So uh, the standard for uh, UHD Premium is actually called uh, um, uh, the REC 2020. And that is by far the largest color um, gamut available and also combined with 1000, it's the largest color volume. So this standard has by far, mm, you know, more color than what we actually really want. So, you know, we're not even concerned whether we will be able to use the full gamut or not, because we're just not limited in what gamut we're going to use. 
but usually, usually, like you know, we have too many color, too much color in 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 Rec 2020. Um, then Marco Polo was mastered for Dolby Vision as well, and Dolby Vision decided that they were not going to use Rec 2020, but something called P3, which is an identical standard to the cinema standard, with the difference that Dolby Vision's P3 has got a different white point, so it's using a uh, instead of 5,900 Kelvin, 6,500 Kelvin. And then um, uh, also for the SDR version, we have reduced that gamut one more time to the Rec 709. Now, in order to be able to accomplish this, you have to understand there are no tools out there. You know, there is no button we can press in our color grading systems that will say, oh, change color space in such a way or such a way. So I had to go and develop my own algorithms that will allow me to translate from one format to another in um, in more um, a pleasing way or more like a perceptual you know way rather than mathematically correct way. So by doing these different versions, are you actually grading three times, or are you grading once and then using your algorithm to to do the seven or nine version, for example? Correct. So what I'm doing is I'm I'm using like a one algorithm, one grade that is giving me both versions, the uh, 2020 and the uh, Rec 709 version, and then we are at the end uh, translating uh, to P3 version. We're doing just a pass, so to say, on the P3. So in order to master for Dolby, we take our grade, you know, we did the 2020, and we remaster that in the P3 and in the Rec 709 for Dolby Vision. Now, you've mentioned Dolby Vision a couple of times. There's actually two ways of delivering HDR at home at the moment. That's HDR10 and Dolby Vision. Do you have any preference over the delivery system? Well, I must say that Dolby Vision is rock solid, like in terms of you know what it what it promises to do, and 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 you know like in terms of you know how integrated the whole you know system is, you know from mastering and to how smartly it recognizes you know the um, you know the what screen if you had an adapter after the screen, so it's a very good system. But you have to understand the HD10 is actually. It is Dolby development, you know, so the PQ curve and everything that's in, in, in Dolby Vision is just like, you know, license-free given to, um, you know, safety standard, you know, today created to HD10. So they are very identical in such a way with the exception that HD10 hasn't got this whole automation. There is no two-way communication, you know, like, you know, and that's really what Dolby Vision promises because Dolby Vision will always... Um, question the monitor and ask what monitor are you what's your maximum brightness what's your maximum color space and it will adjust the image to that monitor and hd10 is not able to do that it's kind of pretty strict about it now i must say though dolby vision i love for all this sophistication but at the same time i'm a fan of hd10 because it doesn't require any special tvs or licensing or anything like that and it's possible you know with any hdr monitor to watch it so, you know, for me, both have advantages and disadvantages, but bottom line is they both look ex- the same good as, as formats. When uh, someone watches Marco Polo in HDR at home on their new um, Ultra HD TV, what benefits can they expect to see? Well, they will, they will um, definitely see images like uh, if, if they haven't seen HDR before, like, you know, they will definitely see images that like they, like they never had seen before in their life. And um, and I and I'm really serious about it. Like you know, I must say though, when I when I worked on that show, I would come back from New York, 
you know, just, you know, thinking that it's impossible, you know, the, the quality of those images that we are getting, it's just amazing. So I think, you know, the first effect you're going to get when you start watching it is, is, is just, you know, that surprise factor, how beautifully these images look. Then, hopefully, you will get into the story of Marco Polo itself and forget about the technical aspect and start enjoying it. And, you know, uh, the costume department has spent, you know, I think well over three and a half million dollars on the costumes. And the quality of costumes in second season is just incredible. You know, the leather and it's very dark black leather costumes with fur and so on. And only in HDR you're going to be able to see the detail in these costumes, which is incredible, which is really incredible. Um, also, you have to understand that Marco Polo is a, is a show that's happening in the 14th, 15th century when there is no other sources of light about the moon, sun, and the fire. So all these scenes, you know, when you have like a night scene, you know, with it lit only with fire, just look magic in, in HDR because the, you can see the detail of the flames, but you can also see the detail in the shadow, you know, of where the actors are moving. Um, so yeah, there's, these are like just kind of first thing that, 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 that springs to my mind, but I could go on and on about describing different scenes. It's just boring. I think we need to switch it on and watch it. Moving things forward. Um, how enthusiastic are you about HDR and, and where do you see it taking us in the next few seasons of Marco Polo or other things that you're working on? Where are the big advantages for, for the end user? Well, mm, let me say, let me tell you like this. Um, I, I, I must say that I see this whole shift to HDR more than just another technical innovation. I really see um, that this is, has become something that, you know, for the first time we can enjoy to watch movies at home that look better than watching movies in the cinema. Um, and um, I'm definitely going to um, make sure that every film that I have always desired to see in its best possible quality, I see in HDR much more so than go to the IMAX cinema or something like that to see it in there. Um, so um, I, I can see that, you know, um, we are very early on right now. Uh, you have to understand that, you know, the, 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 the first screens have just hit the market and, you know, there is a very little content available and so on. So we are at the beginning of that transformation. And so, but my prediction is that, you know, things are going to go much faster than, 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 than what we believe. It's actually incredible how, what, how much happened since the first day I started working to HDR to where are we today. And if things continue to develop in a similar fashion, we are um, going to see a lot of um, uh, studio releases and catalog releases being re-released in HDR, and we're going to see almost all, um, you know, HDR originals or Netflix originals or Amazon originals, you know, um, lift their image quality to the next level with HDR and deliver, you know, us even more exciting television than what we had before, which ultimately would lead to everybody else, you know, like Skies and BBC and everyone else. I'm trying to catch up with it and, and, you know, trying to, you know, so, so I think, you know, we as a consumers, as a viewers, we're going to be seeing in a great shift in our favor in the next year too. In, in the past, it was very difficult for what you were creating as a creative to make it to the home screen, looking how you wanted it to look. Um, 
people normally set up their TV by taking it out of the box and switching it on mm-hmm. and doing very little else uh, with the picture quality. You then have the enthusiast audience who are more concerned about the TV you know, looking correct uh, colour-wise and so on to Rec. 709 and now 2020. But do you think HDR and the metadata approach makes it more likely that the images that you create are going to be seen in the home? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, for years, you know, I've been working as a colorist for the past 10 years. Yeah. So all this time, I would see images in the grading suite um, look absolutely beautiful and fantastic and then feel like totally disappointed when I was to see them back, you know, like at the TV or even in the cinema. When cinema was 35 millimeter projection, you know, that quality of that projection was absolutely appalling in comparison to how digital cinema looks today. So it is now actually so that we feel challenged. How are we going to create images that are of good enough quality for them to look good in HDR? You know, so it's kind of the tables have turned around. Now the consumers at home are going to have screens of such a good quality that they will be able to show every detail, actually some detail that we don't even want to be seen. So, um, so uh, it is really like now that, that you know, we are experiencing uh, that, that scenario, like, oh, wow, it's not anymore, you know, oh, I'm so disappointed that people are going to see. I'm actually excited that I'm, you know, going to have to work even harder to make these images look even better so people at home can see them even in a better way. Given that uh, data, how exciting is it uh, for you to know that your work can now be experienced as you originally intended? Well, that's absolutely amazing. But still, you know, like there is a level of me that can't believe that this is still happening. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, like, you know, I love the prospect of that, you know, and um, I love the the fact that we are very close to it. But only once, you know, we really start, you know, and and experience it in the practice. And, you know, this becomes like a really just a normal thing that will be happening. I think, you know, I'm going to be very, very happy about it. I, I don't think we're quite there yet, you know, because it's so early on, as you can imagine, you know, technology just needs a little bit more time to go before it gets completely perfect. But the prospect of it makes me feel very excited. So our thanks to Dado for the interview and our next podcast extra is on the 13th of June, next Monday. Uh, So please join us for that. And Steve, who is the guest on our second extra? Our next guest is Stephen Ald, who comes from Dolby and he'll be talking all about Dolby Vision. So join us for that and thanks very much for listening. (laughs)